His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. And this week we're doing another director spotlight. Indeed. Not because it's their birthday or anything. Uh, they have a new movie coming out soon. Yes. And so we're trying to get some of that sweet, sweet SEO action going. Yeah. Mm, yes. Sports experience offense. No. Oh, search engine optimization. Yes. Gotcha. That SEO. Good yeah. job. Words. Fist bump. Pew. French fries. So today we are talking about Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. I love his stuff so much. Yeah. It's so, so fucking smart. Yeah. There's intention in every aspect of his filmmaking. And uh, I mean, we'll get into it. I, yeah. I have so many. I have so many notes, y'all. You don't even understand. Indeed. So first, we're going to do what we normally do when we do a director or an actor spotlight. We're going to talk about the person themselves. Right. So Jordan Peele. Yeah. Is only a few months older than you. Really? Yep. Born the 21st of February of 1979. Oh, wow. In New York City. Cool. Uh, He was raised by his mom on the Upper West Side of New York. Graduated from the Calhoun School in 1997 and then attended Sarah Lawrence. Oh, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Dropped out after two years, though. To form a comedy duo with fellow classmate and future Key and Peele writer, Rebecca Drysdale. I learned something really cool. All right. What's that? I was kind of curious. I was looking at Rebecca Drysdale and, and to see, like I said, she wrote for Key and Peele. Mm-hmm. But she has also done some acting. You remember that uh, Shutter exclusive movie uh, Josh Rubin did, Scare Me, where it was the two people in a cabin? Yeah. She's in that movie. Oh, she's she's the one that's like, okay, scare me. No. 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 She is the um the aspiring writer who mm. drives Fred to the cabin. Oh, nice. And at yeah, that's that's Rebecca. Jordan Peele is married. Mm-hmm. Uh he married a fellow comedian, Chelsea Peretti, who most people will probably recognize her as uh, Gina. On Brooklyn Nine Nine, mm-hmm. they got married in 2016, and they have uh, one child together. They have a little boy. Nice. So that's all I really have for the personal stuff. There's not a ton out there, mm-hmm. uh, really, about him his personal life, which I kind of I kind of appreciate. I, I, yeah. A lot of people are very private, which I get and totally understand. Yeah. So I'm gonna go now more into his his career. So early in his career, uh, he was a regular performer at Boom Chicago, which is located in Amsterdam. Okay. And he was also part of uh, Second City in Chicago. Yes. In Chicago, Chicago. Chicago, Chicago. Yes. Okay. Uh, he joined the cast of Mad TV mm-hmm. in 2003. I don't know if you... I got to see a couple episodes of Mad TV in my entire life. It was one of those things where I don't know how it was elsewhere, but... um. I want to say, I want to say Mad TV was a little raunchier. Mm-hmm. So it came on after Saturday Night Live. So basically, 
I would watch Saturday Night Live until like the music guest performance, and then I would switch over to Mad TV. Oh. Because they were both on on Saturday nights, but they weren't on at exactly the same time. The Whoever scheduled Mad TV was smart enough to know they could not directly compete with SNL. <laughs> right, because, you know, you wanted to hit that opening. You wanted to hit, you know, some of the early stuff. And mm-hmm. then... uh, but that's actually where he met Keegan-Michael Key. Okay. They were both cast around the same time. Uh, they eventually both left Mad TV mm-hmm. and started their own sketch series, Key and Peel. Right, which was absolutely hilarious. Was so good. Ran from 2012 to 2015. Yeah. Something I noticed when the last time we were running through those episodes was that some of the late, like towards the end of the run, were getting almost horror centric. We're, we're more horror centric, very existential. Yeah. yeah. And this was before any, any of his films came out. Mm-hmm. So it was. It was kind of neat to see this telegraphing move. Yeah, very much. Well, and from everything I've been able to find, he's always been a big fan of horror. He just finally able, um, I'm trying to remember, I don't remember the producer's name, but the person who bought the spec script for uh, Get Out was introduced to Jordan by Keegan. Oh, cool. Um Keegan was working on some movie with this producer and said, you've got to meet my friend Jordan. He's really into horror. He's got some really great ideas. And Jordan and this producer met for coffee and he pitched the guy the idea for Get Out. Mm -hmm. And he liked the idea so much that he actually paid him to write the script, which doesn't happen very often. No, no. It's usually like, okay, we'll have someone do a treatment on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually you write the script and then you shop it around to other people. Not, I have an idea for a script and someone says, okay, here's money to write it. Right. So in addition to other smaller acting roles, Jordan does a lot of voice work. Hmm. The four main things that I that I know of and that I think other people will recognize, uh, he does several characters on the Netflix series Big Mouth. Okay. He was one of the stuffed animals, Bunny. In Toy Story 4, he's done multiple voice roles for Bob's Burgers and Rick and Morty. Really? Yeah. So he he's also got a lot of other stuff that he's um, not necessarily directed, but wrote and or produced and or acted in. <laughs> right, right, right. So he co-wrote, produced and acted in the comedy film Keanu in mm-hmm. 2016. That's him, him and Key again. Right. He produced uh, Black Klansman Mm -hmm. in 2018, which is a great movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. In 2019, he co-created a Twilight Zone reboot for Mm -hmm. Paramount+. Plus. He wrote several episodes. He didn't direct any, but he did write several episodes. And he played the narrator role that Rod Serling had previously taken care of. Right. I've actually seen some episodes. We have the first season... We, we haven't finished it. We might I might have to now, but there are some really good episodes in that one. Of, the one I like in particular is the one with uh, Kumail Nanjiani, where he's that comedian. Oh, yeah, that one. That one struck a chord. Yes, where he makes if he makes fun of somebody, they disappear. Mm-hmm. He co-wrote and produced Nia DaCosta's 2021 Candyman sequel. Mm-hmm. And in uh, in October 2022. He and Wynn Rosenfeld, who is another producer, signed on to produce a remake of The People Under the Stairs. 
No. Yes. I don't know where we are on that. I couldn't find any more information, but hopefully, I mean, if anybody was going to do it and do it well. So they signed on to do this in the future? Yes. Okay. So they're signed on to start it in October. No, they, in October, 2022, it was announced that they had assigned on to, sorry, October, 2020. Okay, I was going to say, we're not there yet. How many times did I say October 2022 and not notice it? Several. Fuck. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. October 2020, uh, they assigned on because I'm stupid. You're not stupid. You just are trying to get oh my to the cooler months. I'm sorry. I want it to be cold again so badly. Uh, so Jordan Peele mm-hmm. has been nominated for four Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. And he, he did win one. Mm-hmm. So he won Best Original Screenplay for Get Out in 2018. That actually made him the first African-American screenwriter to win that award. So good job, him. Yes. So I mentioned he's got another movie coming out. Mm-hmm. It is slated to be released in uh, July, July 22nd. Mm-hmm. It's called Nope. Mm-hmm. And he wrote, direct, produced. It's... Based on the trailers, people are thinking aliens, but like it's there's no way it's that simple. And there's it's maybe there's more to it. There's there's it's not that simple. I know that I can say definitively that it's not that simple just because of his past filmmaking. Unless that's what he wants us to think. And then all of our conclusions are wrong. Or what if all the alien looking stuff we see is in a dream? We don't know. I don't don't know know anything to speculate it. I don't know. I'm just, I'm I'm here for it. But it's got uh, Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yoon, and Michael Wincott. Mm-hmm. And also Keith David. So, so I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it's worth the price of admission. Yeah. So, I have two little other tidbits about Jordan Peele. Okay. Uh, in February 2017, he curated a Brooklyn Academy of Music film series called The Art of the Social Thriller. Hmm. It was basically a list of films that inspired the making of Get Out. Mm-hmm. So I've seen, I've seen all but one of these movies. Okay, good job. All right, so I'm going to list them, and you tell me which one, if how many of you you haven't seen. All right, when folks, we're done. and you can play along. Play along, everybody. Rosemary's Baby. Yes. Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. The Shining. Yes. Candyman. Yes. The People Under the Stairs. Yes. Scream. Yes. Silence of the Lambs. Hello. Funny Games. Yes. Misery. Yes. Rear Window. Yes. The Burbs. Yeah. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. That's the one with Tom Hanks where he holds his penis inappropriately, yeah? Yes. Okay. Among other things. And what was the last one? Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yeah. Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is the only one I've never seen. See the original, not this Ashton Kutcher. No, fuck one. that no. shit. No, I would see the original. Yeah. Because I'm not an idiot. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. You've seen all of those? Yeah. Well done you. I stay potato that time. Yeah. Uh, his comedy influences, he has said, are, uh, they include Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, and Martin Lawrence. So, there you go. I do, before we move into the films, I want to give a quick shout out to... I. At some point, I kind of want to do an episode that's on, like, composers, Mm -hmm. and we can, like, pick a couple of our favorites to talk about. But until we get to do that, I have to give a shout out to Michael Abels. Oh, my God, yeah. 
he is the man responsible for scoring Get Out and Us. He's also going to be scoring Nope. And his stuff is just so, it's so amazing. And I, he had never scored a film prior to Get Out. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm not sure exactly how Jordan found him, but he had previously done like concert pieces Mm -hmm. that were very much influenced by blues and jazz and, and, and African music. It's just the, the influence is so, I don't know. His stuff is just so great. It's definitely a visceral listen. It's, it's something that you hear it and you go, okay. And it, it it like grabs onto the middle of my chest and And, and and just kind of pulls me in. And the vocalizations he adds in certain places Mm -hmm. are just chef's kiss. Okay. Before we get into the movies, I have one more quick note. Okay. I want to apologize in advance for having lots of trivia bits for both of these movies. (laughs) But I kept finding so many clever little details, and Mm -hmm. they just go to further highlight what an amazing writer and filmmaker Jordan Peele is. There There are things I didn't notice until the second or third time I watched these movies, And there are other things I didn't notice until I started doing research and I read like a little tidbit and I was like, holy shit. I I actually had to stop reading because I kept finding cool facts. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Get Out. Mm -hmm. Get Out. Okay. No. Have fun. (laughs) Uh, Get Out released in 2017. Chris's girlfriend Rose is taking him to visit her parents for the first time for the weekend. Initially uneasy about how he'll be treated, since he's black and Rose is white, he finds them to be kind and overly accommodating, if a little strange. But as the weekend continues, a series of increasingly bizarre and disturbing events lead him to a truth he never could have imagined. Mm, Well said. Thank you. Um, So both of these films were written and directed by Jordan, so I'm not going to point that out for both of them separately. That's not what I do. (laughs) <laughs> it's about the directors, and, you know. We, right. We're not going to bring up like you know, Rear Window or something. Well, and there's previous times where we've done a director spotlight where they didn't write the film, so I still have to say who wrote it. Right. But he writes his own stuff, so. And I love him for it, mostly because he doesn't have to sit there and go, "Well, what is this supposed to mean?" Because he knows what it means because he wrote it. Well, and and when you're the when you are both the writer and the director, I feel like it gives you a certain amount of freedom. Mm-hmm. Because if something's not working. It's a lot easier to just be like, okay, this isn't working. Let's do it like this. Yeah. Or to make little weird, t- little tweaks to things. Mm-hmm. And because um, you don't have to check with the writer first. You are the writer. Yeah. Or, you know, someone's, you know, whether it's a line that just comes off weird with the particular actor's voice or it's not hitting the tone of the scene. Maybe the, maybe the tone of the scene entirely changed when you look at the chemistry of the characters and you're like, mm-hmm. let's try this. Yeah. And just change it on the fly. Yeah. It's nice. So let's just jump right into the cast. Yeah. We have Daniel Kaluuya as Chris Washington. He was Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah, which Mm -hmm. is another amazing film I know I've banged on about previously. If you haven't seen it, fucking watch it. It's great. Uh, Allison Williams is Rose Armitage. She was Marnie on Girls. Mm -hmm. Bradley Whitford is Dean Armitage. He was Commander Lawrence on The Handmaid's Tale. He was also Josh Lyman on The West Wing. He was also in Captain in the Woods. He was in Captain in the Woods. He was Hadley. Mm-hmm. Uh, Catherine Keener is Missy Armitage. She was Maxine in The Big Lebowski. She's been in other stuff too. 
Uh, Caleb Landry Jones is Jeremy Armitage. He was Red Welby in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Mm. Stephen Root is Jim Hudson. Most people in our generations will recognize him as Milton in Office Space. Mm-hmm. He, he's also recently played the role of Monroe on Barry, Bill Hader's mm-hmm. show, yeah. which I really want to watch. It's supposed to be good. Yeah. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is Andre Hayworth and Logan King. He was Lieutenant Elliot in Knives Out and Bill O'Neill in Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lil Roll Howry is Rod Williams. He was Buddy in Free Guy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Betty Gabriel is Georgina. She was Nari in Unfriended Dark Web. Okay. And then Marcus Henderson was Walter. He was Detective Whitfield in Insidious The Last Key. Nice. So I had so many trivia pieces. I actually had to divide them into subsections. Okay. So first I want to talk about my cast. So first I have casting trivia. Okay. So Daniel Kaluuya was cast based on the strength of his performance in the Black Mirror episode 15 Million Merits. I was going to bring up that episode because that's such a a good episode. Such a great episode. Oh my God. But uh, I have a quote from Mm -hmm. him. Uh, So in an interview with the LA Times... He said, uh, that party sequence is why I really wanted to do this film. That party scene was just like, oh, I've been in that party. I'm going to that party. Like that kind of racism that isn't seen as racism, that isn't seen as kind of like mainstream racism. It's just life. And to explore that is quite an uncomfortable conversation. And Jordan just spoke his truth. He cinematically articulated an experience that millions of people go through and they are made to feel crazy for going through it. But he just said, no, actually, you're not crazy. Yeah. So Allison Williams, Mm -hmm. who plays Rose, Mm -hmm. said that she was cast by Peel as a sneaky gambit to disorient audiences. Jordan told me that he had always pictured me as Rose because Peter Pan and Marnie, because she's also played Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. Peter Pan and Marnie would make it easier for people to trust me. Williams also noted, I was looking for a role that would weaponize everything that people took for granted about me. White audiences have frequently misinterpreted her character's motivations, defending her as being just another victim of the cult. Like, oh, she was brainwashed as a kid, so she doesn't know what she's doing and that kind of thing. Which she has rejected out of, like, out of hand. This is just like, absolutely not. No. She insists that Rose knows full well what she's doing and is simply evil, specifically citing when she puts the photos of her victims back up on the wall. I have a quote. The minute she can, she hangs them up on the wall behind her. That's so crazy. (laughs) Yeah, those are her trophies. Yeah, exactly. And then in regards to Bradley Whitford, Mm -hmm. uh, in an interview on uh, National Public Radio's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Mm He explained that Jordan Peele wanted him for the role of Dean Armitage specifically because of his prior role as Josh Lyman from the West Wing. Hmm. Because Peele wanted all of the Armitage family members to have a distinct white liberal feel to them. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. Well, they don't all have that because... uh, Oh, her brother? Yeah, her brother kind of sucks. Her brother kind of (laughs) sucks. We'll get into that. Uh, So I mentioned the music... Mm. Michael, he's so great. So the main theme, and give me a second to make sure I pronounce this correctly, is Sikiliza Kwa Wahenga, which is Swahili. And I apologize if I fucked that up. 
So the lyrics are in Swahili, with the exception of the word brother, which is in English. Michael Abels felt that the word brother has a special universal meaning among black people that didn't need to be translated. So he just left it as is. And then the voices in the song represent the souls of black slaves and lynching victims trying to warn Chris to get away. Mm. Because the translation of the lyrics is brother run, listen to the elders, listen to the truth, run away, save yourself. Which if you pair that with run rabbit run, which is the first, first, uh, you know, I guess license, or maybe it's, maybe it's public domain now, but right. You know, First licensed piece of music, which if you watch it with subtitles on, it says 1930s music. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just the little details that the filmmakers put in are just, oh my God, it's great. Okay, continuing on. So now I have character details, mm-hmm. which are things that you don't really notice or think about until you rewatch the film. Mm-hmm. My first one, I didn't even really think about. So there's a scene early on in the film where um, Rose and Chris are driving to her parents' place. Yeah. And they hit a deer. Mm-hmm. Driving a Lincoln. Yes, they are driving a Lincoln, you pointed out. I don't I don't know if that was on purpose, but, but Peel has said that the, his movies are very deliberate. So maybe it was completely... I couldn't find anything that said that it was on purpose, but it probably... Maybe it was. I don't know. So Rose is driving. Mm-hmm. And when the police officer comes, he asks to see Chris's ID as well. Mm -hmm. And she shuts that shit down. She's like, no, he wasn't driving. You don't need to see his ID. Fuck off. Right. Which on the second time I watched the film, I was like, oh, she's because the whole thing. Okay. I'm going to spoil the end of the fucking movie. I'm going to spoil the twist. So, but you knew what you were coming here for. The only person I know hasn't seen Get Out is my mom that listens. So. Sorry, mom. I bought you a copy two years ago. You've had time. Yeah. And this doesn't ruin the movie because it's still the journey still is still a fantastic. Yes. I mean, you can ride a roller coaster. You can ride it again and, and still know it's certain still, things are it's coming. Still fun. It's, it's, it's still entertaining. It's still, yeah. So essentially what the Armitage family is doing is there's like a cabal of these rich white people who kidnap black people and then do a partial brain transplant to, in a sense, live forever in these other people's bodies. Yeah. So knowing that twist on my first rewatch of get out, I was, I was looking at her defending Chris, not as a, I'm defending my boyfriend thing, but in a, I'm defending this black person because eventually I will be black. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying so uh, I I looked at it as a lens of her trying to improve how black people are treated in America under the guise of she her knowing she is one day going to be a black person. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. there is another aspect to that scene that I didn't think about. Rose isn't sticking up for Chris when she argues with the police officer about showing identification. She's not sticking up for Chris and she's not trying to make the world a better place. She's avoiding a paper trail Mm. because had the cop run both of their driver's licenses, there would have been a record that Chris was with her Mm. before he disappears. Holy shit. Yeah. 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 It had nothing to do with protecting him or making the world a better place for her eventual self. It was all about a paper trail. It was all about evidence. Not wanting to leave a trail of evidence. Yeah. Fuck. I know. So speaking of Rose, Mm. 
Jordan directed Allison Williams to think of her role as two completely separate characters. Mm -hmm. So there is Rose, Mm -hmm. Chris's fun, loyal, loving girlfriend. Sensitive, caring, supportive. And then there is Roro, the cruel and heartless sociopath who helps her family kidnap and subjugate black people. And he said that he was most concerned with her ability to play both roles at the same time. Specifically because of that scene where she's on the phone with Rod and she we're because we're seeing her. She has the face and mannerisms of Roro, but is talking like Rose. Yeah, it's extremely disconcerting. Well, actually, I've seen I, I see that all the time, actually. Well, yeah, working customer service. Yeah, because yeah. I might have a smile on my face while I'm talking to you. But what I'm really saying is, so for the fifth time, will you please clear your cash and cookies? Well, but this is the extreme, <laughs> right? Extreme of that, because she's just completely like dead eyes. Oh yeah, no facial expression whatsoever, just like a mannequin. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, uh, the other fun things I uh, I noticed, and that I'm sure other people have, but um, it's another one of those things where when you uh, on a rewatch, you're like, oh yeah. Uh, Missy isn't upset about Chris smoking because he's doing it around Rose. It's because it will make his body less healthy slash desirable for a new host. Mm -hmm. Another fun thing I didn't notice or I didn't think about. She controls her subjects with a silver spoon, which is synonymous with privilege. Mm -hmm. Born with a silver spoon. Exactly. Yes. And then there's the the behavior of the party guests before the action before the auction. The most disturbing part of, of the whole party guest thing for me mm-hmm. is two parts. Okay. Am I hijacking your, your point or no? Let me make this real. Let okay. me say this real quick and then we'll get to your because I there's a thing I find disturbing that isn't necessarily a. Okay. Um, so the man who used to be a professional golfer mm-hmm. asks to see Chris's form because he is deciding whether or not to bid on him. Mm hmm. That's also why the wife of the guy with the oxygen tank is feeling Chris up, because if they decide to bid on him, that's the body her husband's going to be in from now on. So, yeah, speaking of the the party, go for it. Uh, Yeah. So one of the first things uh, that I wrote down about the the party is that on second watch, these old white folks talking to Chris and Rose like they're shopping for a car or a horse or some shit like oh yeah it's hella obvious once you know what they're actually doing it is very obvious like it 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 just seemed like really awkward uncomfortable conversation the first time watching it yeah now it's like straight up overt like like they may as well been slapping a melon or or squeezing it's reminiscent of if you've ever seen any films about slavery in the united states where Mm -hmm. you where they show a slave auction people going up to yeah and like opening their mouths and inspecting the teeth. It's it's very much like that. Yeah, it's it it's gross. Yeah. And I mean it's supposed to be. Uh the other thing that really disturbed me is parties going on, Chris runs upstairs, and the second he is like on on the second floor, everything everyone stops. stops talking. And it's like, okay, that's eerie as shit. Yeah. It's really creepy. It's creepy as fuck. So that's all the tidbits that I have. Mm. Um, I don't have a ton of thoughts other than stuff I've already. So let's get into your thoughts. I, uh, and I'll just play off you. Okay. So 
we've kind of run through some of those things. I'm going to actually run things a little bit back in time and then kind of progress through and forward. Yeah. Uh, again, I got to reiterate, the music is... It's so good. Fucking great. There are certain filmmakers that are very precise when it comes to the their music choices. Um, even licensed music. Even like licensed music. Childish Gambino's Redbone in, in here. It, it right. felt very much like... Like Tarantino is well known for handpicking these songs that you it's may have purposeful. never heard before, yeah. or maybe someone you know has maybe heard before, but then you hear it and you're like, I can't think of a better song for this scene. Mm-hmm. It, it's a nice, where someone, it's a nice curation of sound yeah. to help tell the story. Well, I feel like as far as even the score, I feel like my, Michael Abel's perfectly scores mm-hmm. both, both of, of these films. Uh, you pointed out uh, the Omega symbols on the planters yes. up front, but yeah. they're never explained. No. Um, also, later in the film, they talk about our order. It's like, what, order of the Omega? I mean, come on. Come on. No, no, no. When Dean is talking about the killing of the deer, mm-hmm. and he's like, I say, you know, it, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a hot, hot take on this, but you know, I say good riddance, you know. Yeah, he hates. He keeps going on about how much he hates the deer. Yeah, and and all the thing, all the negative things they they does. It really sounds like racist rhetoric that you hear, or at least that I've heard in in my lifetime around some really awful people. Uh, it. Well, and um, there was a, a term that was used for black men in the antebellum South was black buck. Mm-hmm. Which then Chris actually turns around and kills him with the head of one. Right. So, yeah. No, that's, again, this is all... Nothing the, is by accident. Nothing is by accident. We're not, we're not <laughs> grasping at straws at, at no, this shit. No. Um, also, early on in the film, Dean slash Mr. Armitage, he's... Got all this art from travels, you know, art from Bali. He's and like, oh, he's I like, got this in Bali. And yeah. And there's a specific line he says, going back to your silver spoon and privilege. Mm-hmm. He says, it's a privilege to experience another person's culture. Yeah. He also mentions just offhandedly as he's kind of giving this brief tour of this nice house. He goes, oh, that's the basement. It's sealed off for black mold. Huh. Which, I mean, sure, but why do you have to say why it's sealed off? I mean, it's not like it's like, don't go around here, you rascally kids. You know, I mean, I don't I don't know. The reference to keeping a piece of grandma in the kitchen since... And then Georgina's in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the piece of grandma. Right. Well, and there's actually something else that I didn't notice. I'm going ha- I, I, to have to watch the film again. Rose, when she's... When they're coming into the... Oh, he goes... Oh, she goes... Uh, that's the groundskeeper. But she mispronounces groundskeeper, and it sounds like she's saying groundskeeper. Oh. Exactly. See, my brain just corrected it. Yeah. No, she's, it's a purposeful, as far as I'm aware, it's a purposeful mispronunciation. And I just want to point out real quick, a thing I didn't think about until, again, I read a note, is Walter. Mm-hmm. So Walter and Georgina are introduced as basically he says that they were hired to help take care of Dean's parents when they were old. And then when his parents died, they couldn't let him. They just kept them on, basically. They're basically part of the family. Oh, they're part of the family. Yeah, we could have let them go. But so Walter is supposed to be the groundskeeper. And he is doing these chores that you're initially like, oh, yeah, of course, that's a chore that a groundskeeper would do. But then when you think about it, you're like, you wouldn't just hand rake an entire estate. 
No. You wouldn't use one of those old-timey push blade lawnmowers to mow this entire place. No. So, like, he's doing things that initially seem like things he should be doing, but are ridiculous for the way he's doing them. He's like the dude that's just sweeping air. Right. And it's because Walter is actually Roman, Dean's father, who has never done a day of manual labor in his life, so has no idea what the fuck he's doing. So most of it is pantomime, except for chopping wood. Exactly, it's all an act. I mean, chopping wood, though, is just fun. I mean, well, they do have fireplaces, so. Yeah. That's the only thing he's doing correctly. (laughs) I also want to point out the first meeting with Jeremy, the, um, I'm trying to think of a polite way to describe him. He's an asshole. I knew several people like him in the military. Mm-hmm. I have to wonder if he's if he wanted to go to med school, because they talk about how he's in med school. Mm-hmm. If he wanted to go to med school or he has to go to med school because they need someone to continue to be able to continue this procedure when Dean's no longer able to do it. So that Dean can live on. Yeah. Right. Because somebody's going to have to do Dean's procedure at some point. Mm. Granted, once they do, he'll be able to, you know, continue on, but somebody else will have to do it eventually. Hmm. Which means more than likely Rose is also going to get to learn the tea trick if she doesn't know it already. Probably. Fucking sorcery. Mm Mm-hmm. But when Jeremy is trying to, or hyper-masculine challenging him, you know, he's like, you know, MMA, you know, you, you know, if you really put in all the effort, you know, you could could be a fucking animal and it's like once again another animal reference oh, with your genetic makeup you'd be great at mma it's like mm. but he didn't say you'd be great at it. he said you'd be a fucking animal. you'd be a beast you'd yeah be a beast and i'm like so not human not not a great athlete he'd he'd be a beast um which again there's so many like microaggressions right and the thing is like chris is even trying chris is what I would strive to be in that type of situation. Granted, I've never been in that situation. But Just trying I, to de-escalate. But he, he de-escalates and he does it beautifully. And I could learn a lot from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, from his character anyway. Uh, that first night, having been in relationships before where there was a lot of gaslighting involved, my alarms went off when they were upstairs getting ready for bed. And Rose is recounting all of the high points of all of the the negative aspects. Yeah. All of the things. She's she's recounting all these cringe points with disgust, pointing them out, saying, look, I see this. Yeah. This has got to be part of her pre-gaslight setup or, you know. It's, it's very much a, a see, I'm not like that act. Or, yeah. Have they changed what's going on with this? I, I didn't mean to bring you into this. To get him to then say, no, it's okay. You know, it's it's almost a call and response type right. thing. Especially when couples, you know, it's like, oh, I'm so sorry I brought you to this restaurant. This used to be a really good place. It's like, no, no, it, you know, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be yeah. fine. You know, you don't want to ruin the the memory of someone. You know, it's it's just seeing it just, uh, yeah. it, was, uh, it was rough. Also, Chris was sleeping with a necklace on. And in the dark... That necklace shone almost as if there was a line cutting his head off. Huh. Almost like the removal of a head, which which I feel, at least to me... Symbolic. Uh, symbolic of removing Chris's, you know, we're gonna... Yeah. Know, something. I don't know. I'm gonna take his face off. No, that's a different movie. Uh, I have a line here that I wrote uh, 
while watching most recently and said, bitch, why are you just sitting in the dark? Creepy ass bitch. Um, oh, Missy? Yeah, for Missy. Yeah. Because Chris didn't even go out. Well, he went out to smoke, but didn't get a chance to smoke because he almost got run over by freight train and then had to come back in because he's like, well, that was some weird shit. And he comes back in and it's like, like he was late for curfew or some shit. You know? Yeah. And then I, I've got my next, that ain't psychology, that's fucking sorcery. Look, I have no qualms with anybody who wants to practice any type of magic or spiritualism or anything like that. But no, that teacup, mm-mm. The, the hypnotism and the sunken place, just... Well, and the fact that the audio starts to echo some of these clicks and dings yeah. throughout the rest of the movie once it's introduced. Yeah. Because I didn't notice it before, but once it was introduced in the scene, it hit. Yeah. Uh, Walter straight up talks like an old man. Yeah, both both Walter and Georgina. Mm-hmm. Well, and later Logan yeah. slash Andre, they both talk like old people. Mm-hmm. They specifically they both talk like they all talk like old white people. Yeah. Quick shout out! I forgot uh, how much promo the Surface Tablet and Windows phones were getting in this yeah. movie. We yeah, used yeah. to have Windows phones, so I had a little hit of nostalgia there. Yeah. Yeah, Logan's completely alien. Yeah, it's like he's it's clear he has no idea what he's doing. Like Chris goes up for a fist bump and he just kind of like grabs his fist and and like shakes it. I'm like, what what are you, what are you doing? Just oh my stop. god! And then immediately after, he and he and his wife, um, so Logan and Philomena go over to this other group, and he like spreads his arm out and starts turning around like sh- like he's showing off. Turning around in the way that you would show off like a new a new suit or, or but he's showing off his body. Mm-hmm. It oh my god. So kind of jumping quite a bit forward. Mm-hmm. One of the most impactful things I've seen in in this film is is a beautiful shot with uh, Chris right towards the end. He's, he's looking through the photographs and just the rapid fire mental gymnastics we get to see play out on his face when he's going through the photos, going from shock to betrayal to panic to horror. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. Well, because Rose Rose had told him she was the first black guy he'd ever dated. Yeah. And so when he's there, he's like, this is weird. I want to go. We need to leave. And she says, OK, we'll leave. Mm-hmm. He's upstairs packing his stuff and he sees this like open door into like a little closet. And there's this box with, of photos of Rose with all these different black guys. And a woman. And one woman. Yeah. Well, because grandma needed a new body. Well, yeah. Um, and it's just very quick. Like he doesn't say anything. He, he, he's like the moment for me that really got me the first time and even even on repeat viewings it always gets me is the keys mm. when he's like demanding like rose you need to find the keys we need the keys give me the keys when i put the bags in the car and he goes downstairs and he's basically like surrounded by her parents and her brother the fucking lacrosse stick with a yeah well and there's this moment where he keeps asking where the key- he keeps telling Rose where are the keys and she keeps demurring. She's like, I'm, I'm and looking. Eventually, he realizes something is wrong, and with tears in his eyes, asks Rose again, "Where are the keys?" And the mask just slips. Mask slips. Hand comes up with and keys her hand her comes finger. up, and she's like, "You mean these keys? You know I can't give you the keys, babe." And it's just like, 
holy shit. And then you notice immediately after that, she puts her hair into a slick back ponytail. Mm -hmm. And that ponytail does not come down for the rest of the film. Yeah, it's time to go. She's transformed. She goes from casual jeans and sweaters to like tight slick back ponytail, white turtleneck, jodhpurs, and like fucking hunting boots. Yeah. And you're just like, what the fuck? And the way she eats cereal. (laughs) Oh my fucking God. She is just, this bitch, she is sitting on her bed. She has gotten the photos of her previous victims back up. They are all lined up neatly on the wall behind her bed, like fucking hunting trophies. And she is sitting on her bed. Silver tray. Silver tray with a glass of milk and a bowl of Fruit Loops. And she picks up a Fruit Loop and fucking bites it in half. Like it's a cookie or some shit. And then she takes, she picks up the milk and she takes one, two, three little sips. And a thing I thought was interesting about that is when her mother hypnotizes people, it's one, two, three taps of the spoon. Oh. Right? Shit. Right? And one of the things that Missy says about hypnotism is there is the, the trigger points. Huh. Huh. Okay. But the other thing that I find that's clever about the way that she eats this milk and the cereal separately is the white milk does not mix with the colored cereal. Oh, jeez. Until she wants it to. Oh, oh boy. I know. Uh, I have three things. Yes. One. It really sucks when you raise the alarm about something mm-hmm. and you know in your heart of hearts you are right. And not only does nothing happen, but you get laughed out of the fucking office. Oh, with Rod and the TSA? Yes. Yeah. Because um, that wasn't regular police. Those were TSA detectives <laughs> that he was talking to. Getting to see what I'm just going to call the grandpa's passenger. Yeah. Uh, gets flashed, has a, has a brief moment to kind of take control. Cause for some reason, a camera flash breaks the, the hypnotic suggestion that keeps the original personality stuck in the sunken place. Cause the whole thing with this procedure that they do is the original personality is still there. It's just a passenger. Mm-hmm. Which it, actually was covered in a Black Mirror episode. Yes. Um, so, so if the procedure with Chris had been successful, he would have still been able to see and hear what was going on, but he wouldn't have actually been able to do anything. Right. For some reason, a camera flash breaks that and allows for the original personality to take over Mm -hmm. again. Well, and he got to, uh, shoot Rose and then, uh, press eject on his involuntary experience in a poetic and tragic way. He unalived himself. Yes. Uh, which actually brings me to the whole point with uh, when Chris and Georgina... Uh, sorry, I'm going back in reverse. Look, I watched Pulp We're Fiction too many times. We're going back and forth, Leslie. I, I watched Pulp Fiction too many times as a kid, so I don't know what chronology is. It's fine. When Chris and Georgina are, are having their conversation and he expressed discomfort around being around so many white people... Basically, from the point of the tear running down Georgina's face to her run of no, 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 no. Yeah. There is a moment, a fleeting moment, that you can see she lost control for a second. And I almost feel like it was a way of saying, Mm-mm, no, 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 you sit mm-hmm. back down. 
Yeah. Just sit back down. Passengers must remain with their seatbelts fastened, sort of, sort of, yeah, right there. Definitely. My final thought on on this movie: How is this a long term plan? Like, what's going to happen when Psycho Boy and Coochie Queen can no longer acquire subjects? Have they? Will they have bred new new people? I'm to take sure over? they will. Yeah. Because here's the thing: if they can, this is essentially a way that they have found for them to live forever. So this same group of people can realistically continue doing this in perpetuity. Right. And if you, I mean, this is basically indentured immortality. Yeah. Or indentured is too kind of a word. Yeah. It's immortality through slavery. Yes. But well, one of the advantages anyway of immortality is wealth. Mm-hmm. You have time. You can yeah. play the long game. Exactly. All right. So let's jump into our second film, 2019's Us. Mm-hmm. Yes. A family's beach vacation in Santa Cruz turns into a nightmarish fight for survival with the appearance of malevolent doppelgangers intent on replacing them. Mm-hmm. So the cast this is fun because I'm going to have to say two names for everybody. Basically. Yeah. So first we have uh, the Wilson family. Well, can I even say the Wilson family because they're the- well, the family does comprise the Wilson family because well, they did create they did uh, they did create a family. Well, I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Anyway, moving on. So Lupita Nyong'o is Adelaide Wilson and Red. Mm-hmm. She was Miss Caroline in Little Monsters, which I know yes. we've mentioned before. She's also uh, Nakia in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Winston Duke is Gabe Wilson and Abraham. He is M'Baku in the MCU. He's also got some other uh, film roles coming up that I'm excited cool. about because I like I like him. Yeah. Uh, Shahadi Wright Joseph is Zora Wilson and Umbre. She was Ruby Lee Emery on Them, which I started to watch but didn't finish. I may have to go back to it. Evan Alex is Jason Wilson and Pluto. He hasn't really done a whole lot else other than this. I'd like to see him do more. Me too. Elizabeth Moss is Kitty Tyler and Dahlia. She was Peggy Olsen on Mad Men. She's also June Osborne on The Handmaid's Tale. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Tim Heidecker is Josh Tyler and Tex. He is probably best known for uh, he's a writer and an actor on a older Adult Swim show, Tim and Eric's awesome show, Great Job. Mm-hmm. My uncle was actually on an episode of that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Callie Sheldon is Becca Tyler and Io. And Noelle Sheldon is Lindsay Tyler and Nix. They were actually, Callie and Noelle were the twins that played Emma Geller Green on Friends. Oh. Yeah. And then we have uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II as Russell Thomas and Wayland. He was Anthony in 2021's Candyman. Mm-hmm. And then Anna Diop is Rain Thomas or, and Eartha. She is uh, Starfire on Titans. Mm-hmm. So, ta-da, I did it. <laughs> this is one of those movies that it's kind of, it can be confusing to try and explain because you was, both- they essentially had to shoot the film from a certain point, they had to shoot the film twice. Yeah. So, <laughs> because everybody plays two characters. Okay, so let's get into the trivia that I have for this. So Jordan Peele, a lot of directors I find, maybe not a lot of directors, but I have heard of actor of directors doing this before with their actors where they're like, 
giving them certain movies to watch to kind of get ready mm-hmm. for the role. I know the Duffer Brothers for Stranger Things have given their cast members movies to watch and stuff that are kind of synonymous with the time. Well, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, it's a time capsule for these right. kids who have no frame of reference for E.T. Right. and all this other stuff. So. And like music to listen to and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jordan Peele gave the cast 11 horror movies to watch so they would have a, quote, shared language while mm. filming. Okay. And of these films, I have seen all but three. Okay. So we'll do this again. It'll be fun. All right, folks. Let's play at home. Jaws. Yeah. Dead Again. That's the one with the head backwards, yeah? I don't think so. I think that... Hold on. No, that's that's Death Becomes Her. What's Dead Again? I'm looking it up. I'm pretty sure it's Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson. I'm right. Kenneth Branagh, Emma Thompson. Okay. Yeah, I know. No, I haven't seen it. Okay. The Shining. Yeah. The Babadook. No, actually, I haven't seen it. It Follows. Yeah. A Tale of Two Sisters. I believe it's a Korean horror film. Oh, okay. I was like, that's not that. But that was, uh... I was thinking of the Miley Cyrus. Is it Miley Cyrus? The the Parent Trap remake or whatever? There was a Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap remake. Lindsay Lohan, yeah. Sorry, Miley. Although there is there is an American remake of A Tale of Two Sisters called The Uninvited that I know you have seen. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay, so I've seen I've seen a bad copy of it. Yes. I mean, I'm not saying that the American remake's a bad copy. I'm just saying a copy of a copy is a... You know, Typically, yeah. American remakes of, of Japanese and Korean horror films are not great. Uh, anyway, uh, The Birds. Yeah, Avi. Funny Games. Yeah. Martyrs. Have not. I really want to, though. I think Same. it's on Shutter now. Is it? I think. I'll have to double check. We should, we should do that. Uh, Let the Right One In. Yeah. And, I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great. And The Sixth Sense. Yeah. So actually, going through it again, I haven't seen... Did I say four? I don't remember. Okay. I haven't seen four of them. So we're in the same ballpark. Yeah, because I started to watch once. I started to watch A Tale of Two Sisters... And I, it was difficult for me to pay attention to the subtitles and also pay attention to what was going on in the screen. I'm better at that now, so I'm... Yeah, you've yeah. gotten a lot better at that. Thank you. Uh, so other facts, I have character details. Okay. So Jordan Peele saw the characters, the main family of the Wilsons, as an archetypal foursome. With Adelaide being the leader, mm-hmm. Zora being the warrior... Mm-hmm. Gabe being the jester slash fool, mm-hmm. and Jason being the wizard slash magician. Wasn't I calling Gabe a, a, a big dumb idiot? Yes, you were. So I was right. To an extent. Uh, well, I mean, not in a not in a demeaning way. It just like there's a sense that there's a certain type of bravado that he has that you're just like, dude, calm down. <laughs> this is not neither the time nor the place, nor are you well equipped for this. Venture you were you do not for. know what's going on. Stop acting like you do. Why did you buy a boat? He just wanted a boat. So the Tethered's red jumpsuits and wearing a single glove mm-hmm. were an allusion to Michael Jackson. Hmm. Along with the thriller shirt that Adelaide wears as a child. Yeah. Because Peel has stated that Michael Jackson was, quote, the patron saint of duality. Hmm. Uh, Peel references many other instances of 80s culture in the film, including allusions to the Lost Boys Mm -hmm. and Hands Across America, 
stating everything in this movie was deliberate. That is one thing I can guarantee you, unless you didn't like something and then it was a complete accident. (laughs) (laughs) So hands across America is one of the things in the film. It comes up frequently. Yeah. Here's what. Okay. Both visually and mentioned. Visually and, and mentioned. Yes. I occasionally will get into where I'm looking at the history of something that happened when my parents were not not just when they were alive, but when they were adults. Yeah. Like, I was reading some stuff about, like, the satanic panic. Mm-hmm. And I specifically asked my mom her thoughts on it, if she remembered anything like that happening in, like, the area where we lived when I was a kid. And she was like, I was busy raising children. I wasn't paying attention. She's like, so she your father, she's like, your father and I didn't watch the news. <laughs> and so today, when I was doing research for this, I was like, oh, Hands Across America, that happened in 86. I know they were both adults because I was a child. You were a baby. I was a baby. In, in 1986, I was a year old. And so I texted both my parents to ask them their thoughts on Hands Across America. And neither of them knew my Neither of them really knew what I was talking about. <laughs> it was extremely frustrating. <laughs> but I know you were older. Yes. In 86. Yes. So you probably, do you remember Hands Across America? I do. Okay. As a matter of fact, I remember a meltdown I had because I insisted we needed to be part of this Hands Across America. Okay. And uh, what I got as a consolation prize for it was... Well, we can go over to Matt and Heather's grandma's house and you can play with them. And she had this tiny ass backyard on a hill with this bumpy grass that always poked through my shorts. And it it didn't feel good and I didn't like it. And I was not happy that I did not get to be part of this thing that was like nationwide. Yeah. Apparently it wasn't that big a deal in Missouri. (laughs) Well. Or at least the part of Missouri where my family lives. Well, okay. So some background on Hands Across America. This comes off of the back of the initial USA for Africa, you know, and the We Are the World. And like all that. Live Aid and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all that stuff. So it was a public fundraising event that was held on Sunday, May 25th, 1986, when between five and six and a half million people held hands for 15 minutes to form a continuous human chain across the contiguous United States. So the lower 48. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there's some caveats to that because... There's like barren stretches of desert. People are not holding hands through that. No. But there were some places where the density would have mathematically made it up to where it, it, it all evens out. Right. So many participants donated uh, $10 each to reserve their place in line. And the proceeds were donated to local charities to fight hunger and homelessness and help those in poverty. How'd that work out? Well, it raised about $15 million for charities after operating costs. It raised around $30 million, so half went to operating costs and coordination and promotion. Plus, there was there was a recording and everything. I would say there was like a song or some shit. Oh, yeah. I remember that much from VH1's I Love the 80s. <laughs> so, to give you an idea, I'm going to go across the country, hitting major cities. Cause... I'm sure St. Louis participated. Oh, yeah. St. Louis is right there. Oh, yeah. But Wikipedia, thankfully, has this nice little breakdown of everything. Uh, so the song, the theme song for it was Hands Across America. It was not nearly as popular of a song as uh, We Are know, the World. We Are the World. But the band Toto took part in the song. What? Sorry, I'm just thinking of Brian David Gilbert's Koopa song. Oh, yes. So 
I'm going to run across the country and tell you the famous people who are showing their faces at the event. All right, go for it. In Long Beach, California, we had Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, Goofy, Pluto, Reverend Robert Schuller, Kenny Loggins, K-Log, K-Log, Joan Van Ark, John Stamos, Robin Williams, and C-3PO, Anthony Daniels, Aww. backed by Papa Do Run Run. Okay. I, look. I've been to Long Beach. Uh, from Santa Monica, California, we have George Burns, Jack Youngblood, oh Dudley Moore, Richard Dreyfus, and Donna Mills. I've been to Santa Monica also. Coming in from San Bernardino, California, we have Bob Seger and Charlene Tilton. Okay, I know who Bob Seger is. From Phoenix, Arizona, with Ed Begley Jr. However, the desert areas were mostly empty, dotted with like one one mile long chains of people. Yeah. But truck drivers sounded their horns during the appointed time to kind of help bridge the gap. Oh, like with sound. Oh, yeah. that's adorable. Trucks sing bad but make loud noise. Honk honk. From Albuquerque, New Mexico, we have Don Johnson. <laughs> nice. Amarillo, Texas, we have Kenny Rogers, Renegade, Lee Greenwood, and Tony Dorsett at the Texas-New Mexico border. Nice. In Little Rock, Arkansas, we had Governor Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah, this would have been <laughs> back when he was governor. Now, this doesn't go in a straight line. This, this kind of meanders it around. Go, it weaves. From Memphis, Tennessee, 54 Elvis Presley impersonators. Nice. St. Louis, Missouri, we had Kathleen Turner under the Gateway Arch. Aw, that was it? Yep. We have celebrities from Missouri, from St. Louis, that were alive at the time. What? The f- they were not celebrities in 1986. Vincent Price was a celebrity in 1986. He was probably busy cooking with a dishwasher or something. I don't know. Uh, Springfield, Illinois, had 50 Abraham Lincoln impersonators. <clears throat> okay. Good job, Illinois. From Chabance, Illinois... Uh, Cornfield in central Illinois served at a, as a center point of the nation with 16,000 people in attendance. Shabazz, Shabazz, oh, wait. No, no, David. No. I was going to make a children of the corn joke and then you started doing that. Uh, from Champaign, Illinois, we had Walter Payton. Indianapolis, Indiana, which occurred in the rain and was scheduled side by side with the Indy 500, which was rained out that day. So it was like the only event in town. Nice. Um, Cincinnati, Ohio, we had Chewbacca the Wookiee. Okay. I wish I could make a Chewbacca sound. I could try, but it wouldn't be very good. No. Just picture Chewbacca mom and be happy. Yeah. From Columbus, Ohio, we have Michael J. Fox. Oh, cool. Toledo, Ohio, Jamie Farr. Cleveland, Ohio, David Copperfield. Hmm. Youngstown, Ohio, Michael Jackson. What did Ohio do to get, like, four spots with some known people? I don't know. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, we have Fred Rogers and the Pittsburgh Pirates Parrot. Mr. Rogers. From Washington, D.C., we had then-President Ronald Reagan at the White House and Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill at the United States Capitol. From Baltimore, Maryland, with Kenny Baker, R2-D2, and Emmanuel Lewis. Oh, interesting. From Philadelphia, we had Jerry Lewis and Scott Bayo. Oh, good. From Trenton, New Jersey. Trenton, Missouri. <laughs> From Trenton, New Jersey. Dion Warwick, Guy Hutchison, and Tony Danza. Nice. And finally, from New York, New York, we have Brooke Shields, as well as Liza Minnelli, Cardinal John O'Connor, Susan Anton, Gregory Hines, Edward James Olmos, Yoko Ono, Ugh. Harry Belafonte, 
and they were all anchoring the George Washington Bridge, or at least Harry Belafonte was. Look, some of these folks are not as cool as the others. Some of them have some of them have not aged well. Some of them have their, stopped aging. In their behavior. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> is what I was thinking. Some of them, it turns out, are fairly problematic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, sorry. Thank you for letting me audition as uh, an announcer. You're fine. I love you. So moving back into character details. Yes. Dahlia, Kitty's tethered. This was something I specifically wanted to pay attention to mm-hmm. in this rewatch. When they're at the beach, mm-hmm. Kitty mentions getting plastic surgery and Dahlia, Kitty's tethered, has scars on her face. Yeah. So I just thought that was a neat detail. That is a nice detail. So the scissors. Yes. You mentioned the scissors. The tethered chiefly using scissors as a weapon is representative of the tethered themselves. Because the tethered and their person are two pieces bound together to create one whole. Mm, so they need it to cut. Exactly. So my next notes are on plot details and themes. Mm -hmm. Uh, The film contains numerous references to Jeremiah 1111. There is um, at one point, Gabe is watching a baseball game and the score is 1111. Yeah, it's uh, 1111 in the seventh inning. Yeah. When they are walking across the beach, the shadows reflecting make it look look like it says 1111. Bedtime is 1111 on the clock. Mm hmm. So Jeremiah 11.11 is is a legitimate piece of scripture, and it reads, Therefore thus saith the Lord, I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape, although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. Mm. You made your bed, now lie in it. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Mm. Um, So Jordan Peele later explained in the film's uh, special features that a central theme of the film is American privilege. Mm. Not 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 just white privilege, but like American, American pri- yeah. like American privilege, American exceptionalism. Well, I mean, that goes back to USA for Africa. Like we we don't, we don't have, you know, Spain for Africa. Like mm. like what what made our country just say, "Hey, we're just going to raise a bunch of money and throw it at them." Right. So I have I have a specific quote. I okay. just need to take a sip of tea first. All right. So This is the quote. Here we go. One of the central themes in us is that we can do a good job collectively of ignoring the ramifications of privilege. Mm. I think it's the idea that what we feel like we deserve comes at the expense of someone else's freedom or joy. You know, the biggest disservice we can do as a faction with a collective privilege like the United States is to presume that we deserve it and that it isn't luck that has us born where we're born. For us to have our privilege someone suffers. That's where the tethered connection, I think, resonates the most, is that those who suffer and those who prosper are two sides of the same coin. Hmm. You can never forget that. We need to fight for the less fortunate. Hmm. I just found that very interesting. It just goes, again, it it speaks to him, his intention as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. is his... I get out and and us are both this way. I'm sure Nope is going to be the same way in that his films are very purposeful. He's saying something. He is saying something. If you're entertained at the same time, that's great because he does want you to be entertained, but he's also saying something with his film. So the last set I, of, of trivia notes I have are specifically about Adelaide and Red. Okay. So one thing that you talked about 
uh, or mentioned earlier was Red's vocal quality. Oh, that is a haunting vocal quality. It if really there ever is one. Yeah. Especially telling the story at the Oh. Yeah. Mm. So Lapita Nyong'o said her performance as Red was inspired by Robert F. Kennedy, who suffered from spasmodic dysphonia, hmm. which is a condition that causes a person's voice to go into periods of spasms. Mm-hmm. So in order to perfect this voice, she worked with an ear, nose and throat doctor, a vocal therapist and a dialect coach because she wanted to make sure that not only could she do it, but that she could do it safely. Right. Because she's playing, she said specifically, I had two roles to play. I couldn't afford to damage my voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you can't, it's like you have folks in, uh, you know, in theater performances or, you know, whether it's a musical or stage performance, you can totally blow out your voice trying to get an effect. Mm-hmm. Or even voice actors. I'm sure there are voice actors who have blown their voices out and they're like, I can't do anymore today. Yeah. So Red is the only one of the tethered who can and does speak. Mm-hmm. And this is a clue to her true identity. Mm-hmm. Likewise, the fact that her voice has this hoarse, halting quality is likely due to two things. One, she hasn't had anyone to speak to in decades. Mm-hmm. And two, her vocal cords were likely damaged when her double choked her as a child. Mm. Uh, Red mentions God on two occasions. Mm-hmm. This is also an indication that Red is the real Adelaide because she would have learned about God prior to being sequestered in those underground tunnels. Whereas the tethered who have no language likely would not comprehend the concept of God. Hmm. Let alone have a word. Precisely. For... Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that I noticed this time, mm-hmm. I specifically noticed it when they first get to the beach house. Adelaide's family is all eating fast food. Yeah. But she's eating strawberries. Mm-hmm. So Adelaide never eats meat or drinks anything besides water. Mm-hmm. In the scene where her family's eating fast food and drinking soda, she's eating strawberries and drinking water. And then later... Kitty offers her wine at the beach and she says, no, I'm fine with water, Mm -hmm. which is just another. I feel like that's another clue. Yeah. Not taking part in the American privilege of having whatever. Or now that she has the opportunity to eat what she chooses to eat instead of being forced to eat what everybody else is raw red rabbit. Yeah. She chooses to eat things that are fresh. Mm. So clean, tidy. Exactly. Another thing I thought was neat, at the start of the film, Adelaide is wearing white. Mm -hmm. And as the film progresses, she gets more and more blood on her shirt, which is another hint to her true identity. Mm. So it just, this was an, like I said, I had to stop reading the trivia stuff because I just kept finding more and more cool things. Like I mentioned Jeremiah 1111, the ambulance is ambulance 1111. Mm. Not to mention the fact that the toy car that is used to keep the closet door open in their vacation house is an ambulance. Yeah. Which hints at the end of the film. Uh, another cool detail that I'm not sure. I think this is one of the ones where people aren't sure if it's intentional or not, is that the tethered only kill their doppelganger. Mm-hmm. Because when, well, cause when the, when the Wilsons go over to the Tyler's house, mm-hmm. Dahlia like handcuffs Adelaide to the bed. Mm-hmm. 
but otherwise doesn't really do anything else. Yeah. And uh, Tex pursues Gabe and like taunts him, but never really tries to hurt him. More, more to subdue rather than kill. Yeah. Because it's not their kill. Exactly. Hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. The only time I can think of is when they actively try to kill someone other than their doppelganger is the twins. Yeah. Because one of the twins gets thrown over the balcony and it turns out she's not dead and she does attack Adelaide. And they had previously, the both of them had attacked uh, Zora and Jason. Okay, so I don't really have any other notes on the... This is fucking... Again, it's such a great movie. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. I, I highly recommend both of these movies. Um, and we haven't been to a movie in theaters since Avengers Endgame. Yeah. I kind of want to go see Nope. Yeah. Just because I want to... I feel like we almost have to. It's, I don't want to have another time. horror movie spoiled by me by it's time. social yeah. media. So what are your thoughts on us? Uh, let's see. Well, I was confused initially by there being one random sailor in dress whites uh, at the boardwalk mm-hmm. in Santa Cruz until I realized that there's a very good chance the most likely base that he was attached to, because why would you be in dress whites on a random boardwalk in Santa Cruz? It, it doesn't make sense. Like, sailors want to get out of their uniform unless they're getting, like, tickets for free or something. He may have been part of Naval Support Activity Monterey. Okay. Which is actually where I wanted to be for most of my Navy career. I was trying to angle that location. Cool. It's where the, the language schools are. Oh. But I never got to go. Took the test, didn't get to play. Anywho. So, I mean, he could have been a, a cook there. Who knows? Uh, sorry, a culinary specialist. Uh, let's see. I love that, uh, Addie's got about as much rhythm as Steve Martin in The Jerk. Oh my god. Well, and that's another key to her being the fact that she doesn't truly belong, is the fact that she's trying to teach Jason rhythm, but she's not snapping on the beats. Mm-hmm. Also, come on, Gabe. The song is literally a drug reference. You just- It's not s- about drugs. It's- Yes, it is. The line you just sang mentions drugs. Come on, man. Get, just say, yeah, it's about drugs. That doesn't it mean... It is definitely about drugs, but it's about weed, which is fine. Yeah. It's not like it's a song about heroin. It's also, a song about weed. Gabe, why, why you gotta use guilt and and children's disappointment to direct your spouse? That's not, that's not a way to live. Well, and my whole... Okay, so here's my whole thing. I get they're on a family vacation. They have this vacation house in Santa Cruz. Adelaide does not want to go to the beach. It's a source of trauma. I get it. It's a, she, she went missing for 15 minutes when she was a kid. It's a source of trauma. She doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Why not just take the kids without her? Yeah. Why she got to go? Be like, hey, do you mind if I take the kids then and you can stay here? And I, because if that were us and I did This is us. Did, mm. <laughs> First of all, fuck you. If, if it was us in this situation. If you and I were in this situation yeah. where we were on vacation you wanted to, you and the kids wanted to go do something that I did not. If you said, hey, I'm going to take the kids. Do you mind staying? Are you cool staying here? I'd be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Some time alone to read in my vacation house. Sounds great. Yeah. See you all later. That said, Addie hadn't expressed any of this past trauma to her husband. That is true. He was so, not aware. I mean, it. like, look, 
it's not fair to your partner to get upset about something that is triggering a past trauma if you don't if at they least don't know about it let them know that there is something triggering a past trauma right because then they just think you're being weird yeah so if you don't want to feel that way you need to be at least comfortable enough with someone who you have chosen to marry and have children with or marry or not marry and have children with because they've been together coupled together for a decent period of time because zora is what 15 yeah she's old enough that she wants to practice driving yeah so i mean a decade and a half ish this should have come out at some point that is relationship advice i'm not licensed to give it but it's common sense being that we have been together for shit how long have we been together we're over 10 now, I think. Over 10 years. Yeah. yeah. I think we are, we're just as qualified as anybody else. <laughs> I love that there were two points in the movie where you had to press X to Jason. Yes. Those of you There's who get some, that joke. Some very heavy rain moments. Yeah. He just goes missing. At least he doesn't get hit by a car. This is true. So I wrote a, a little summary of things. Okay. So the tethered, in a very poetic sense, because Abraham, you know, was like the initials fear factor until you realize he was like the least dangerous he's like the big he's like the person in a DD group who plays a tank so like he rolls really high on strength but like intelligence and charisma is like in the negatives yeah not so much like don't have don't send him to negotiate rick punch the initiative i i did like when he when they were when the family was seated opposite each other in the living room when gabe went to push up his glasses abraham immediately like mimicked the behavior mm-hmm so, Abraham, while threatening, turned out to be a decent chum because he got chopped up. <laughs> David. And uh, Umbre got treed and uh, Pluto got some sick burns. I say Jason and Pluto's fa- friendship went up in flames. Yes, quite so. And I do uh, think that was very clever that Jason... Basically mirror tricked him. Did the... Yeah, because he was like, well, if he mimics my behavior, he tricked him into walking backwards into fire yeah and then just just stand in it like this is fine mm-hmm. and then yeah uh red red got snapped well and the reaction the way adelaide treats both of the tethered children when they die mm-hmm. is also indicative of the fact that she is actually one of the tethered mm-hmm. because she comforts umbre as she's dying mm-hmm. And when Pluto goes up in flames, she screams no. I mean, on surface level, you could say, well, she's a parent seeing a child being burned, but also this is a child that's trying to kill them and light them on fire and shit. Yeah, precisely. So it's like like one of those things where it's like, well, I mean, you're trying to kill me, but also you're a kid. So like, what do I do? But then on the deeper level, you're right. It's because she is, she is, she is actually a tethered. This is one of my people. Yeah, identifies with them. It's something that I found as a common thread through both films identity erasure and being personally repurposed against your will mm-hmm. you know whether it's circumstance like in us you know because it, the you know the, the way um red explains like our life you know Addie got to choose and be partnered with gabe and the tether was just kind of slapped together it's like that was his tether. I, I like, got. I, this is what because I because she chose this guy. I, I got him, and which really speaks to just over a decade of repeated sexual assaults. Yeah. For not just not just Red, but all of the people 
no one all has of choice. the tethered There's none no of choice. them have choice none of them have agency so it's uh it's a true loss of of freedom being shown on on film a eh? not not just you know personal freedom like like you know we we're talking about free you know not like that kind of freedom but I've like been looking for freedom it's hasselhoff yeah yes yeah he probably won't sue us but like just the thought of not having your identity anymore or being erased no one will miss you right you know those are the kinds of things where it's like no matter where what your background is that's like mm, not it sounds awful any way you cut it yeah based on the way that the whole concept of the tethered is explained it is a uniquely american thing mm-hmm. yeah, and it was so an the, experiment that was abandoned basically right and so the whole point of the tethered coming up and getting rid of their their other halves and then doing this whole hands across america symbolism thing that is to show the rest of the world hey we're here we exist look at this fucked up thing that happened and one of the interesting things is the reason why they do this hands across america recreation is because that's one of the last cultural touchstones that adelaide experienced prior to being shut up with the tethered uh, i just had this amazing potential revelation go for it hands across america was to get to it's actually to something you said it was supposed to raise funds for helping the hungry and homeless in yeah. our country that is still full of hungry and homeless people yeah that that's not but the blaming te- them yeah that's saying it didn't work and the tethered are homeless and hungry people that are also part of an abandoned project. Exactly. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. It's got layers. It does. It has lots of layers. Mm. Fuck, I love these movies. Yes. That was very loud, and I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> okay. I just... Uh, I'm so excited. Like I said, I'm really excited for Nope. Just because, based on the, the, the most recent... There's like a longer trailer that's like three minutes long. It gives us more detail. I'm it doesn't like, give us any detail. Well, but here's the thing. It's like... I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's aliens. It's like, but is it? There's got to be, there has to be more to it than that, because that is the kind of writer and filmmaker Jordan Peele is. Unless it isn't, though. That's that's no. the thing, though. I, I feel like, I feel like if anyone is going to make something where it's like, no, it's, it's straight up a flying saucer. It's aliens. And all y'all are reading all the stuff into it. I intentionally made it look like a 1950s style flying saucer so everyone would re- get the read on it. I don't think he would do that. On his third film, I don't think he would troll us all. Then again, you are completely correct. He was a comedian first, so (laughs) it's entirely possible. I really hope he doesn't do that, because this will be the first one of his films that I'll be seeing in theaters. So I would really hate to... (laughs) That would be kind of a bummer. I'm excited for it. Yeah. If nothing else, I, I love the names of his movies. Yeah, they're very simple. Get out. Us. What? Nope. Yeah. All if right. You get away with it. You do a movie called Us. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's going to wrap it us. Uh, wrap it up for us this week. I do want to go ahead and let people know we will be taking a break. We'll be out of town for. There's a memorial service for a member of my family mm-hmm. that's happening next weekend, and so we will not be uh, recording. So there will be no new episode next week. But then we'll we'll be back. We'll be right back. Yeah. Um, we're just going to be traveling and it would be too complicated for us to try and record 
and yeah. edit and everything while we're doing other that other stuff. So yeah, we're just going to take a one episode break and then we'll be right back at it. So just let everybody know. As always, you can follow us on our social medias. We are on Facebook and Twitter. You can find those links on our website, h2horrorcast.com. We also have a link there to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. That goes to um, renting and occasionally buying films when it's necessary, other equipment for the podcast, um, currently working on getting new, uh, headphones. Yeah. So Those are fun. that are a little nicer than the, the basic ones that we kind of started out with. Yeah. I, f- I fell in love with these roads. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. They are very nice. I'm wearing a pair right now and they are amazing. And then I take them back to work with me on Tuesday. I know. It's fine. Shout out to our current patrons, Liz, Lizzie, Gray, and mom. I love all of you. Uh, for anyone who's curious, the apple pie that my mom bought us for our podversary was delicious. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. I think that's it. Yeah, I think so. Until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>